Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows that we've been watching. I'm Aaron. And I'm James. I'd hope so. It's, in the, st- it's in the name of the show. I haven't changed. Yeah. I- Again, we, we said this before, but what if I just was like, and I'm Steven. You yeah, would it would be a little, it, would you it would be a little disarming. It? You know, I so you never show me yourself um, on camera when, when we do this. I'm on camera briefly, and then I turn it off. So, I mean, you could be a one-bit monochromatic person. I, I don't know. That's true. And I also am going to use this um, opportunity to publicly announce to everybody and to you that I would like to start being on camera, uh, an idea that you have vehemently opposed. <laughs> well, I, I yeah, really, I, I vehemently oppose that um, because it, the truth <laughs> is uh, I am a one bit monochromatic graphically rendered person and I don't want anyone and you said you have a face for radio, which is oh, not true. This is not true. Um, but I just, you know, want to put you on the spot. Uh, what a what a good day uh, this is. We're back. We're this is we this are is back. really we're actually back. We're back in a big bad way with oh, yeah. um with with a it's our it's our return. Would you say it's our return? <laughs> I would say that, yes. Yeah, and it's fitting because today we're talking about, um, as I like to call it, the return of the Oprah Din, <laughs> I, uh, which I is love it. An, right. Yeah, uh, it's an indie mystery puzzle game. Um, it's it's almost a adventure deduction game, I would say. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, very much so. But it, it blends all those genres: mystery puzzle etc um it was released in 2018 for the pc and 2019 for consoles i played it on switch uh which i think is a, a really great way to play it handheld um with the with your headphones in how did you as I, I did the same thing although i will say when we get into a little bit more about how the gameplay works i almost wish i would have played this on pc and that is not something you will like ever hear me say <laughs> That if I have the option to play something not on PC, you better believe that's what I'm going to do. Um, but th- like, like you mentioned, this is like a deduction game. This is it, like a detective game. Um, yeah, it really is. And maybe if that sounds more appealing to you, um, you like the audience, not you, you, um, than deduction game. But it, it is a, as we'll get into it, it does a lot of really fun things. And I think the core idea and the, the general idea of this is really, really neat. And I, I don't think I've ever played a game like it. No, absolutely not. The, I mean, kind of the closest thing, and it's barely the same at all, are um, the crime scene examinations from, say, like Batman Arkham Origins. Yeah, but, but like not, not even. Not even, yeah. That game like holds your hand and slaps you in the face and points you where to go. <laughs> this game yeah, this, does no. not do that. No, no, no. Um, And yeah, we'll get a lot more into that. So... This game was made entirely by one guy named Lucas Pope. This is his second commercial game. The first was Papers, Please, which I hear is very good. I've never played it. Have you? Likewise. No, I have not. Okay. Maybe we'll have to. And I have, I, I have a feeling uh, Papers, Please kind of made him kind of unlimited money because I hear nothing but good things about it. And uh, I, yeah, I think it sold very well. Yeah. And he, you know, he viewed Oberdin as like a passion project. He wasn't really concerned whether the game would make him money, which I guess 
that would be I in line with what yeah, yeah it's just yeah. just flushed with cash um but that's great i mean it was a passion project and you could do it which is something that doesn't always you know that doesn't always happen it's not yeah. always possible um one of the really neat things about this game is the graphics and just the general aesthetic but so kind of in line with your joke earlier this game is in a first person perspective and has a one bit monochrome graphics style inspired by early games on mac computers um he was really fascinated with that aesthetic and wanted to initially make like a really short experimental game with it but that project grew and grew and grew until it turned into this and i don't know if you had any motion sickness issues with this i mean not i didn't actually get sick but it was definitely it it was an adjustment um i eventually just became like seamless it wasn't a problem at all but um yeah yeah. you have in the notes that uh it can occur most often at full screen resolution yeah um i only play this handheld um so i don't actually really know um also too though I changed, you have the option of changing through a couple different screen filters. Yes. I had to change mine to uh, green uh, just to see things clearer because I I think white is a little too hard to see. I did this, the default for most of the time. I forget what the other ones were, but they're each kind of inspired by different like computer console back in the day. There's like a Commodore one. There's, yeah. Yeah. So I started it initially on the big screen then I eventually switched to completely handheld and yeah. So, you know, I would probably recommend handheld if you're going to play this on, on the switch really, I guess is the only option for that. But, you know, I, I did still kind of get used to it on the big screen. I just kind of generally prefer to play this game handheld. Um, so, yeah. So Pope wanted to make a game where you would repeatedly die and whenever you died, you'd see the events leading up to your death from your corpse and then be transported back one minute before your death so you could manipulate the environment to recreate it. Which it, sounds rad as hell. It sure does. Uh, it's, this yeah. is not what happened with this game, but he took a pretty neat idea from that. It kind of gave him the idea to use what we'll explain in more detail is this idea of freeze frame flashbacks to depict moments of death or like leading right before the moments of death and using those collectively to tell a story. They're, um, they're essentially tableaus. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, they're like tableaus that you get to not interact with, but kind of explore from every angle. And not to mention uh, from a game developing standpoint, especially when you're just one guy, it's much easier to have these freeze frame flashbacks where you're the only thing moving around an environment and have a static environment than have, to animate all this stuff. Yeah. But even though I totally agree, um, I still think this is a staggering amount of work for one guy. Oh my God. I was crazy. I was blown away. I've heard like, I've been, this is absolutely no offense to Toby Fox. Undertale is one of my favorite games. This, the, the amount of work that went into this game kind of blew me away more initially than at first glance with, with, undertale and maybe i'm just going off of graphics since undertale is very kind of simple um it's complex but simple it's well we'll do an undertale episode maybe at some point um but yeah i was just it was staggering how how incredibly like gorgeous this game is and, and haunting and 
I think that sometimes I was frustrated because you couldn't see certain things for the purposes of gathering clues. There's a couple things in this game that are difficult to identify, but I think that's intentional. And I think it adds to some of the horror elements. Yeah. um, Also, every person, as far as I can tell, is kind Hmm. of given one unique-ish trait. Um, like there's guy who wears his hat this way, guy who wears his hat the other way, guy in V-neck shirt. Yeah. Um, but there's by late in the game, there's so many people. It's even re- referencing the photograph. So many people look alike. It's really difficult sometimes to figure out who is who. Yeah. And we will provide more context to why you would need to do that uh, in, yeah. in a little bit. So Pope said that the narrative for this took the longest, and that doesn't surprise me. There were initially a smaller cast of characters. As Aaron mentioned, there's a large cast of characters. Um, So obviously Pope ended up expanding it. But to make that more digestible, he decided to divide the story into 10, I think it's 10, distinct events. Each event being something that occurs relative to the Oberdin, which we'll go into more detail, is a trade ship. And each event kind of leads to a series of deaths associated with that event, or maybe that event was like a catalyst for a mutiny or something like that. Yeah, or it it has no point and is completely random. Yeah. Like one one of them is. The very first one chronologically? No, 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 no. We'll talk about it. Okay, yeah. You might need to refresh my memory. So this game was mostly well-received. I didn't really see a whole lot of criticisms about it other than I really, I think everything that you and I are probably going to say to criticize it are, are in line with any of the criticisms that it's received. I guess it, it's been yeah, criticized for its like, art style, right? Yeah, and I, I think everything positive we have to say about it will likely be the critical consensus, and a lot of the negative we have to say about it will also be critical consensus. And as I say that out loud, it makes me realize that it's completely pointless to even do this episode then. But hey, we're going to power through. <laughs> we don't need to power through. We know this game. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot. We'll get into it in a little bit more detail, but there is so much in this game and we are not going to cover all of it. It's too no. dense and we'll explain why in a second. Um, I, I, other critics criticize the ending and I have some similar thoughts on the ending that we'll, we'll get into. So tell us about the Oberdin. Yeah. So the Oberdin. Oh, I guess we should first, we should first say that you and I had never played this game before, right? No, we had, no, 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 no. So we no history. Of those, no. And it's kind of one of those games that you would never in a million years play again. Um, at least I, I wouldn't. I'm on the fence. I, yeah, that's what I'll say. I would definitely watch a Let's Play of it where they kind of trim down um, some of the gameplay parts. Uh, I would do that. But shall shall I tell you about the Obradin? Please do. Yeah, so it's a trade ship for the East India Company uh, that went missing in 1803. East India Company kind of controls uh, a lot of the world trade back then. Um, so it went missing and then one day washed back up at port with all of its 60 crew members and passengers either dead or missing. And so your job, uh, you as the main character, you're a silent protagonist. It is first person, as, as you mentioned, James. And it's your job to find the identities of everyone and how they died. 
Um, so for instance, if they were murdered, you need to find out who or what killed them. Uh, and if you do deduce correctly, uh, well, that it, they're all- yeah, they have to explain where they are. If they're yes. alive. You have to explain where they are. Yes. So again, we're not going to explain every identity and cause of death because that would be crazy because again, this is a game with a very large cast. Um, we are going to explain how the game works and kind of give you an overview of what happens in every chapter. There's no chapter that doesn't involve you investigating deaths. Um, it just kind of depends on how many. Um, but that's, we'll tell you the gameplay loop and that's how every chapter essentially plays out. Yeah, there so, there are so many, I mean, every, a lot of the deaths you have to, and and really the, the, the status of all of these missing or dead crew members, like they're, they're, are sometimes very intricate deductions that you need to make. Some of them are more simple and there are, these are things that span across the entire story and you have the ability to visit, to revisit really any character's death at any time. And well, after you unlock it. And so you're really tasked with kind of exploring over and over and over again, these scenes, these events of like the moments of people's deaths and observe as much detail as you possibly can and carry the, and remember those details and use those details to make deductions about other characters. And sometimes it's a, just a web. And I think that's a good thing in a lot of cases. And I think it's a bad thing in some cases, but needless to say, we can't possibly cover every ca- passenger's no. death, nor would we want to, because that's just too much. No, it would be incredibly boring. There is one thing I will note very early in the game when you were assigning or attempting to assign causes of death, it does give you an interesting preview on what causes of death you will eventually see. Yes. I saw decapitation and I was like, Whoa, how was that going to happen? I saw spikes um, and, and I was like, what on earth is that? <laughs> and then decapitation was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially how you get into these death loops that you can see how these people died um, is that you are given a pocket watch. Um, it's, I suppose, a magical pocket watch. Sure uh, that when used, <laughs> I don't know any like it. <laughs> I, I guess not. Is it like a time turner, but time is frozen, maybe? She's canceled. Yeah. Why did I say that? <laughs> um, and it allows you to hear the events leading up to that person's death. So sometimes you'll hear dialogue. Sometimes you'll hear noises. Uh, do you ever hear nothing? I can't remember. No. I mean, there might be one where you just hear some like rustling. And it's, yeah. it's always a black screen when the audio is being shown. And yes. then, but then yes. it always makes it clear what happened. Well, usually. Yes. Uh, and then it'll show you this freeze frame. It's a 3D freeze frame uh, flashback of that person's moment of death or shortly before their death. Uh, quite often, one person's moment of death uh, will give you a clue as to someone else's uh, means of death later yeah. um, based on what's happening. So um, during these, we're going to call them flashbacks, these like freeze frame 3D model uh, things you get to explore. Only you as the player can move and your movement is limited to a subsection of the ship during the events that are transpiring. So there'll be like a white wall um, essentially blocking you off uh, from going to the parts of the ship that you don't need to. Some of the flashbacks are very self-contained. So you're transported to them. And then after a short time, I actually really liked the um, the end of the timer uh, visual. It's like this mm-hmm. kind of curling uh, like thing that zooms out and takes up the whole screen. Yeah, like did a spirally of that, that uh, fade to black kind of thing. Yeah, I did. I, I, I liked it. I would say. Do you think the Oberdin was affected by the curse of the spiral? 
Did you see here that uh, that anime adaptation got delayed again? Because they want to do they want to do justice to it, and so they said they got to delay it more. It was announced in 2019. I, I, it's still not out. I'm okay with that. I think I'm okay with it too. I'll just reread it. Anyway, Uzumaki, I uh, highly recommend uh, you all read that. Not related yes. to this at all. Um, other flashbacks let you use the pocket watch within the flashbacks to locate a corpse that might have been moved or disappeared from the present day ship. So like, for example, someone died and the crew threw them overboard, or maybe the body may have been lost at sea. Yeah. And you can still see how that person died. I would say that if here is a minor gripe of in that, like, yes, there's like a timer, how long you can spend in these freeze frame flashbacks. Sometimes I get all the information I need quickly and I just don't like waiting to have to leave. Sometimes you can exit through a door. Other times, like you can, Sometimes you're really, you are really contained to like one level of the ship or maybe one half of the level of the ship. Other times there's events going on on multiple levels and you can kind of walk around and see what's going on there. But if you just kind of, you you have to wait for the flashback to be done in a lot of cases. Yeah, it is kind of annoying. Um, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of things that I think if you could click through or toggle, um, it would, it would fix. Yeah. And, and most, I mean, it's not like you, it's not like you get on the ship as your character and there's like 60 bodies everywhere. Um, well, I mean, no, but when you, it's, it's kind of like, a, like a high school and a teen drama, the, the worst possible things that could happen to a high school always happen in those shows. Like there's always a bomb <laughs> threat. There's always like a stabbing in the hallway. There's always something right. Yeah. There's always a teen pregnancy. So like the Obra Dinn is like the worst of the worst things that could possibly happen at sea happen to them. Yeah. Like sometimes fantastical, sometimes literal. Um, and like it, it, it's literally if you just piled up all the bodies, it would just be like 60 <laughs> bodies on the deck. Yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. Less than 60. Since everyone died. Uh, yeah. We did true, mention that. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but it would be it would be a lot. Yeah, I mean, if you so if you're what you're saying is if someone was playing Family Feud and had to guess how the Obra did, how people in the Obra Din uh, died, do you think that their top five guesses would all be things that actually happened in this game? <laughs> Maybe a couple, but absolutely not all of them. Not all of them. There's one in particular yeah. I'd never, I did, would not have saw, seen coming. I would have not never have guessed it, and I loved mm-hmm. it. And I guess I said there were no connections to Uzumaki. There's a little bit of Eldritch horror. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's pretty great, actually. Yeah. Um, um, so different things that you see in these flashbacks, um, you might see a face of a murderer or a victim and not, but not know their names. Uh, you might not, you might, you know, see how someone died and you have to deduce house. And this is very obvious or sorry, you might not exactly see how someone died and have to deduce house. Sometimes it's very obvious how you, how that person died. Um, I guess an example of this is you might find someone with a missing leg who was stabbed and died from blood loss shortly after the moment you see the freeze frame and you have to guess how they might have lost that leg, who stabbed them. And those things are just usually kind of unveiled to you as you go. And we should make it clear there is a formula uh, to entering these things. So first it's the name, then it's how they died, and then by, by whom. And that can be an accident. It can be a person. It can be uh, like a beast. Yeah. And apparently the game accepts multiple different answers. And I, I looked up as it should, that, that makes sense. 
I looked up, there's apparently like a joke ending, like a trophy that you can get from this, or if, well, if you're not playing on PlayStation or like an achievement or whatever, if you put everyone's cause of death as being killed by the captain and you can, you can end the game that way. Well, technically the <laughs> ship then is like, his responsibility. And then his like a state gets like sued or something like that. <laughs> I but mean, yeah. in a way, they're right. It was the captain's responsibility. I mean, there were things I don't know how you kept keep them safe from. But well, well the, the thing is, the, the captain in this is a pretty nice guy. Yeah, that's the that's the impression yeah. I got. I, I think he's a very likable guy, especially relative to all the other shitheads on this boat. <laughs> there's, there's quite a few shitheads. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you are given a logbook, like you mentioned, and it's separated into uh, distinct chapters 10. Is that correct? Or 12? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. 10. Each of which is associated with a major event that takes place during the Oberdin's voyage. I never got the impression that these stitched together is the one continuous event. I got the impression that these were broken up over time periods. Yeah, I think there's some that it's implied that they took place pretty close together, but I don't yes. think there was nothing continuous. No. Um, so you witness the events, and so you're exploring the story, but it's all out of order. So, for example, the first corpses and flashbacks that you come across are actually from the final moments on the ship when the very last crew and passengers die. So that chapter is called The End. Um, one chapter is missing and you don't get to find out what happened in it until uh, the end when you leave the ship. And it's kind of um, the end that ties up some of the, the loose ends in the story and yeah. in the gameplay. Yeah. And like we mentioned, we're not going to go into, I mean, we're really not going to explain how a lot of people died. I mean, some of it I think is kind of relevant to the overarching story of what happened to the Oberdin. Well, as we talk about that story, we will explain some of those deaths, but what is interesting to note is like the various type of deduction techniques, because there are a lot. And I will admit now that I did not beat this game without help of a guide, partially you because, you know, I say this all the time and I feel like it's such a it's I'm almost getting sick of myself for saying it. But like, I'm a busy guy and I have other things I want to play and do. And I, I devoted a good amount of time to doing this. I think I got over, I mean, it definitely got over half of them without looking stuff up. And then I started dipping into a wiki just to, if I had like a, a like an educated guess, I couldn't would confirm and see if it was right or not without actually seeing if I was wrong, what the actual answer is. And then by the time I got about 75%, I would get others here and there because I wanted to still give myself some of the experience, but there were others where I'm like, I have no clue how that character died. And I'll look up like a hint. And then eventually like near the very la like last, like 12 guys, I start just looking up actual answers. Yeah. I, I think whether intended or not, I don't think it was intended. This game kind of invites you to use a guide unless you really have nothing else to do with your time um, besides play this game for a while. Honestly, I could see this being kind of a fun party game, almost like doing it one night at a time, like maybe yes. with your significant other and like doing each chapter on mm. its own night because sitting down and playing through gets fairly tiresome. It does. And I would definitely, I definitely did like, I think the most I ever did in one session was two chapters. And 
So two, two notes I have is that first, like a, a good friend of mine played it with a friend and worked together. And I think that's a great way to play it. Kind of just exactly like you mentioned, really the other, and the reason I would have actually, I actually think PC would have been the most fun is because I have like this big monitor. I could, I would be able to have the game on one side of the screen and have notes or screenshots on the other. And it would be having screenshots of things that I think like once I, if, once you realize like, Oh, you need to pay attention to clothing and I various ident- identifying marks, you know, you could put screenshots in rather than have to revisit that flashback. And, and now yeah. would be a good time to talk about some of those um, signifiers. Right? Yes. So like I mentioned, you know, clothing, identifying marks like tattoos, accents are important names because yes. sometimes I think there's like only one Irishman on the, on the ship. Yes. He gets a decent amount of playtime. Um, yeah. But I first played this game on a plane without headphones. Uh-oh. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it was a big O. And then um, was really butting my head up against it and then played it with headphones and realized, oh, that, that people have lots of different accents. <laughs> and oh, and now I'm noticing that it says what country of origin they have. So that's a whole thing I need to figure out. <laughs> you had to go back and like redo some of them. Yeah. 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 You know, but the, you know, the game encourages you to explore every nook and cranny of a flashback, which can be painstaking at times for me, at least. Yeah. Maybe I'm a dumb, dumb idiot face. No, you're not. I think the game does a, I'm just going to say it. I think the game does a really bad job of letting you know where to go next sometimes. Um, yes, sometimes it that does is an true. excellent job with like the smoke powers of the compass <laughs> yeah. uh, leading you where you need to go. Um, I particularly love when the smoke powers don't have very far to go, but they want to make the smoke look mysterious. So there's one in particular where two bodies are next to each other and the smoke rises from one, loops out of the way yeah. to go around a pillar and then lands on the other. I, I laughed out loud there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think when this game, some of the causes of death and some of like the kind of deductions you have to do, I some of them are so good. I It's like chef's kiss. Others are... Yeah just like that was a huge pain in the ass or some of the, some of like the leaps of faith that you have to make and like the really educated guesses or sometimes completely uneducated guesses you have to make. And I went online, like can verify that there are some like stretches. Um, It wasn't just me being crazy that there was like no evidence. Um, Some of them are just, it's a little frustrating. Um, Well, what's frustrating too is I think you could have trimmed down the cast by Mm probably 25 percent um and they did i mean don't do you agree i i honestly wondered the same thing but i then i wondered was he like no i can't do that because it'd be less realistic there have to be this many people on a ship less realistic we're going for realism here no but just in terms of like how many people you know it's got to be grounded in realism for the horror to sit in um yeah i suppose you know, if it's like the Oberdin, a trade ship left with 13 people, I'd be like, what? No way. And then it got there safely. <laughs> it got there safely and nothing happened. So um, should we talk? Should we yeah. start talking about what happened to the Oberdin? Yeah. So, I, I, you know, we obviously spoil everything on this podcast. And, you know, some people want to listen because they don't want to play the game and they want to experience it. Uh, other people, have played it already 
as we mentioned, this the events are kind of revealed to you out of order, starting like with the very last thing and then kind of jumping around. We are not going to tell the story that way because it's frankly would be way too confusing to explain it that way. So yeah. we're we're going to talk about what happened to the Oberdin. Sorry, can you want to? Could I could I get a read on Oberdin from you? The Oberdin. Yeah, we're going to talk about what happened in chronological order. Roughly. To the Oberdin. Anything to add besides the read? I was a first mate on the Oberdin. <laughs> Let's read on to find out what happened to me. All right. Let's, uh, do you want to, should we just alternate? Yeah, yeah. So uh, chronologically, we start in 1802. Um, if you'll remember from the introduction, uh, the game takes place in 1803 when you are investigating. So in 1802, the ship launches from London with a crew and passengers, uh, which we mentioned, this is an international group of people. Um, it includes four Formosans. Those are indigenous people to Taiwan. Um, and the Formosans have brought with them a chest containing a shell. Um, neither are explained. They're, they're kind of just more MacGuffins, which if you don't know what a MacGuffin is, it's an object that characters want just to propel the plot. Yes. So the first major event that happens after that is a very, it's like a, there's only like literally one thing. And sometimes like these, so these chapters are separating events. There's, I think there's only one event in this particular chapter called Loose Cargo. And that is a situation in which the ship is ported in Falmouth, Massachusetts, receiving some cargo. And while loading it, a rope snaps and the cargo crushes one of the crew members. There's also a stowaway in the cargo but no one on the crew notices the stowaway then dies when a barrel he's in hits the deck. Pretty, pretty lame way to go. Yeah. Also this chapter and the, the next one feel very super superfluous to me. I would agree. In fact, they probably just cause more confusion. At first I thought like, Oh, we're getting some like smaller, smaller things like this is helpful. And there are a couple details from these or at least loose cargo one. There's like almost nothing, but the bitter cold, yeah. there's a couple important things from it um but it definitely seems more like filler yeah so a bitter cold uh the ship is off the coast of portugal two seamen die of a fatal lung disease and they are both seamen from india i believe i believe that's um, right and then some other crew members are helping to butcher a cow for food uh i believe this is the one where um a guy throws up yes uh, is that right because because they slit the cow's throat yeah and, and and the the comment that one of the the people helping out makes like about the guy throwing up i think like it's this is one of those i think this is one of those softball ones they like say his name or they give him a nickname and it's really easy to figure out who what his name is from that yes yeah the next chapter is called murder so the ship is passing the canary islands in this chapter and the second mate who is a real shit heel <laughs> Probably the worst person on the ship. <laughs> he sneaks into the cargo hold to steal the shell. That's going to be a recurring theme. And knocks a Formosan guard unconscious. But he is caught in the act by another crew member who he then murders and tries to then tries to frame the guard for the murder. The, he's not great. He's not, he's a, not, good a, not a good guy. Uh, the guard is then sentenced to death while the ship's artist draws that scene. And that's interesting because I, I don't think we did notice that in the logbook, there are, I think, two drawings, right? 
and they kind of show yes. everybody who's on the ship. Oh, if not almost everybody, if not everybody. Yes. And you get access to that at the very beginning of the game. So who was being marched off the plank, um, at least to me, was a very motivating uh, thing to, to, to play for. Yeah, I really wanted to find out what was going to, I mean, I was going to be really upset if we never found out what the hell that was from. I mean, it would be a pretty bad game if they never explained that. Yeah. So like I mentioned, the guard is sentenced to death um, and the second mate then enlists help to steal the chest and abduct two of the remaining Formosans. And some are killed trying to stop them from from taking the chest and leaving, but they do succeed. They exit the ship. They get on some boats with the chest and two of the Formosans um, along with them and get away temporarily. So uh, some of these chapters, like you mentioned, oh, and then some people are killed trying to stop them. Sometimes it feels like they're trying to find ways for people to die. Yeah. Uh, just to, to rack up the body count, which again, um, just reduce the cast size. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you really could add like the phrase, some are killed trying to stop them to the end of most chapters. Yes, exactly. They're like, there's like a one part where like these two guys are getting into a fight and one like blows the other one's face off accidentally when the gun goes off. <laughs> Yeah, there's some accidental like gun and cannon deaths that they're brutal. Can we? Well, I'll I'll bring it up. Remind me if I don't remember to to make a note about the the cannon chapter. Okay, the cannon death chapter. But anyway, the next one. Um, that is called the calling. So the shithead second mate, um, and his enlisted help, the Formosans, escape on boat and head towards the Canary Islands. This is where. this is where things get pretty weird. Um, so we should mention again, this, this game kind of ends at the beginning. Um, we're just gonna, I'm just going to mention that near the end, there's a Kraken involved. Um, so when you start the game, you see a lot of Kraken action. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You see a lot of Kraken action. Yeah. You see a lot of Kraken action. And I kind of assumed that the Kraken was, you know, the big bad or kind of what was going on in this game. Nope. No, no. That's a, it's a real bloodborne bait and switch. Um, There's way more going on than a Kraken. And much Um, the Kraken, I I, I saw, I'm like, that's cool. Obviously, some of the deaths caused by the Kraken that we'll get into are, is, those deaths are cool, but there is a much more interesting threat at play. Yeah. yeah. And that threat, uh, they're attacked by mermaids. Uh, The mermaids use spears and claws to kill some of the men. Again, more deaths. Uh, One of the abducted Formosans manages to free himself from his restraints, takes the shell, and puts it in the chest which causes the chest to emit a burning light that burns off all the skin on his arm to the bone, which kills him, uh, which is pretty gnarly. Yeah. The light also stuns the mermaids. The second mate survives again, the shitty second mate and goes back (laughs) to the ship with the mermaids, but the last remaining Formosan on the ship shoots and kills him. Which finally gets what's coming to him. Yeah. Finally gets what's coming to him. Killed by the last remaining Formosan. Very appropriate. The second mate's just like, look, I've still got the, don't, don't shoot. I've got the chest. See, look, I found nope. it. <laughs> nope. Accept uh, me back with open arms. Nope. And they probably would have. The Formosa didn't shoot him. Uh, the next chapter is called Unholy Captives. So the corpses of the men who were killed, uh, the, the escapees, and the unconscious mermaids are brought onto the ship. And the last remaining Formosan is interrogated. And right as he says that 
the shell must be protected. Very interesting. A mermaid shoots a spike at him, which impales him and a crew member. I think the crew member is hiding behind the wall, spying, and they and dies accidentally from the spike. You know, this was one of the more stereotypical deaths that I just kind of rolled my eyes at. I was yeah. like, if this is another impaled by a mermaid spike death, you see it everywhere. I'm so sick of those. <laughs> it's in all the media. It is. It really Every is. Every MCU movie ends with a mermaid spike impaling <laughs> somebody. I, it's funny, though, because, you know, the, the mermaid reveal doesn't happen right away, obviously. And when I remember seeing spiked as a cause of death very early, and it, I'm glad I forgot that that was a cause of death because it didn't put me on guard. Like, I, 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 this was truly shocking to me. Well, when I read spiked, I thought something like hit in the head with, uh, you know, like a rail spike or something. You know what I mean? I I didn't think about spike in this way. I mean, why would you a mermaid spike? Because it's so common, like you said. Yeah. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So anyway, the mermaids resist as they are then brought down to the lazarette, which I think is just a prison hold right yeah i guess and it's got like a pool of it's got access to like a little pool of water in it not like the literal bottom of the ship it's like there's like a little i think maybe they put fish in there i don't know they're almost a little bit like the uh cells in the undead asylum that you go into yeah just a touch so the mermaids kind of resistance kills a few crew members because obviously more people have to die yeah yeah i think all by spikes the captain steward does not like the mermaids are being imprisoned and tries to free them and he kills another crew member while doing that so the captain then interrogates his steward he's kind of like how could you do this to me been loyal for so long but the steward warns everybody that the mermaids are cursed and says that they should get rid of them but he's kind of like dubbed uh senior crazy pants and uh locked in the lazarette with them yeah, it's kind of a random turn, um, but as as the ship or as as the ship keeps going, as the ship keeps going, and as the story progresses, um, it seems less and less crazy. Do you want to tell us about the best the best chapter? Um, Arguably, I don't even I can I handle it. I, I I will. Soldiers of the sea, and boy, are they! We're gonna have to park on this design. Yeah. Um, so after all this, the ship turns to head back to England, probably good to get home. Yeah. Uh, A storm hits and a few crew members are killed by lightning, right? That's pretty crazy. Um, Yeah. Pretty. That's really the only crazy thing that happens in this chapter. (laughs) That's a pretty cool moment though. Um, it is. Like you you get to go like on one of the masts, um, that's like tipping over or something. And like, you see people like hanging from some of the top men and you can, it's, it's pretty cool. I, exploring uh, this chapter, basically from here through the next like chapter two, this is probably one of the coolest like a series of events to explore. The rain, the rain and storm effects are also uh, pretty cool. Yes, I would say very yeah. much so. Um, so during the storm, crab monsters and <laughs> to fully describe them because crab crab like monsters does not do it justice. a lot of things. No, they're very Scorpion King-esque humans mounted on crab bodies. Would you say that's vaguely what they're like? 
Yeah, but it's almost more spider-like in a way. Like they're, they're yeah. like crab legs, but like also very spider-like. And the, the whatever is human about them, it's like very, it's like black and dark, almost like they have like long, like hair covering their entire like faces and backs, kind of like the late uh, girl in the well from the ring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, this is wild. I've never, I mean, the idea of crab, humanoid crab monsters, I suppose, isn't completely original. Um, but in this, again, I saw the Kraken earlier and I was like, oh, Kraken, that's the deep sea monster. Yeah. Uh, but no, we have these mermaids and then we have these crab things, um, <laughs> which unfortunately they don't, they're not super integral. Um, but this is where a lot of the decapitation deaths come from. Yeah, good old impalings and decapitations. Oh, and impalings. How could we forget the impalings? How could we forget? Yeah, so we get to some Krakeny action. Tell us well, about the Kraken action. Before before I do that, I so those those monsters are eventually killed, and it's suggested, and I can't I, I wrote it down, but I can't remember where exactly because I do not think it's ever explicitly stated that those things are not just there by happenstance. This isn't just like a series of unrelated, right. unfortunate events that they are there because of the mermaids. Do you think in your head canon, is that true? Yes. In my, and then the shell's importance also yeah. kind of, you, you kind of decide what you make of it. Um, I, I think the shell is very important. I think the crab men came because the mermaids were there probably. Um, and because otherwise, again, this is a teen drama high school, if, if that's not the case, <laughs> right? How could all of these separate terrible things happen, <laughs> like, in one voyage? Yeah. Yeah, def- I would agree. Definitely related. I think it's more fun if they're related. It's certainly much more interesting and a, kind of more horrifying. But yeah, it, it can't be stressed enough. Like, I was so excited when these things showed up. I mean, I was, not that I was feeling down on the game, I, I, but I think that they they show up at a time where you're like, okay, I've, I'm, I've got kind of the general swing of things and maybe I've got about 25% of the things figured out. And then this chapter is unveiled and it's just so damn cool. Yeah, it's wild. It is so wild. the doom is the next chapter. Some of the crew members decide to escape the boat. Others are killed in the process because, you know, gotta die. crew going to die. And a Kraken shows up and attacks the ship, starts kind of killing crew members in various direct or indirect ways. And, you know, one, you know, it knocks over some fallen rigging that crushes the captain's wife. Some people are literally torn apart. That one was rough. Loved it. Uh, yeah. Some are. And I, sometimes I really think it adds a little bit more to kind of the atmosphere and horror. Two, two things that I think this game does mostly very well to not see these things actually animated. I think it's really cool to see like a, a decapitated body and have to guess what happened to it or just see someone in the Kraken's, you know, arms or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it'll, a lot, it allows you to see some of these really gruesome deaths in a very clinical detached way yeah. that I don't think you could, if you were seeing them actually play out. Yeah. And I, I think one of the causes of death, is like dragged into the sea or lost at sea or something like that. And and that's another one. It's not clear as another example of kind of some of the deductions is you do not see every single person 
killed by a Kraken or by like indirect results of the Kraken's attack. And so when you were kind of left with some people, you're like, well, I know these people were in this scene. And then the next scene, when there's, there's a lot less people around, that person's gone. I didn't see them die. So I have to conclude that they were dragged into the sea or drowned or something like that. And I think the game accepts like killed by the Kraken just generally or like drowned. One of those two. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, those again, are much less fun to de- to deduce. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a slog, especially um, to be. Yeah, be. Never mind. Go on. No, no. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say um, this is one of the earlier chapters in the game, um, so it's also like it could potentially be easy for you to forget some of these people entirely. I as I did. Yes, as I did. And this was the first moment of the game where I got frustrated because. One of the scenes that occurs during this chapter is happening on the gun deck. And there is like a fucking bonanza of like a cannons going off and being crushing people like misfirings. And I could not decipher a single fucking thing that was happening during this. I don't know if you had the same experience, but there's like a, there's one where there's like someone under a cannon someone being shot and some of the audio that that leads up to what is happening makes it very unclear as to did this person get killed by a cannon misfiring? Did they get crushed by a cannon? Did someone shoot them with the cannon like on purpose? Although that was probably less likely. I just, I just found it really hard to figure out what the hell was going on in some of this chapter. I found the guy getting shot by the cannon to be quite clear. um, But it was kind of a cluster down there. And I can absolutely see confusion. Also, you can't move everywhere, obviously. Right. Uh, this isn't, you know, you can't teleport through things or move through things. So this one is extremely annoying to move around to try and kind of see everything from every angle. Yeah. Uh, more so than other times in the game. And I even think that, I mean, some of them, I guess it's not meant to be clear. And I I've even tried changing like the graphic, like the coloring to see if it was more like, I just thought that it was just visually chaotic in this chapter too, at times. I mean, while I do think some of it was very clear and fun, mostly the stuff on deck, I think was really clear. Um, It didn't really help me when I was trying to change the graphics. But one thing that I want to know here, I think it's relevant to like one of the passengers here. And even if it's not, it's good to mention anyway. As another example of one of these deduction techniques, there is a chapter or one particular moment where you have the ability to explore the lower decks and see bunks like hammocks. And some of those hammocks have numbers and some of those hammocks have maybe an arm hanging out with like a tattoo or maybe even like a particular type of shoe that no one else has. And even like you can use the bunk numbers because the bunk numbers are sometimes associated with the crew members number on the, the ledger or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes it's that clear. Other times, you know, you can use like looking at them in their bunks, like the foot or, or like the shoe or like the arm or something to kind of identify some people in this chapter and in other chapters. I think that's generally when I found that out or when I suspected it and I just couldn't quite use it correctly. And then I used a guide to figure out kind of like to lead me closer in the right direction. I thought that was very cool. It was one of those things where I was like, there were some things I looked up where I was like, I had to be done. <laughs> Other times I was like, damn it, why did I look that up? I would have really loved to have discovered that for myself. I agree. Um, and again, I think it's a function of playing this, you know, all in one sitting, not in one sitting, but all in one go. Again, I think it was the kind of thing, especially if you had a partner 
Um, I get frustrated in puzzle games because I don't have anyone to bounce my ideas off of. And that's yeah. kind of how I solve problems best. Um, so again, I think this game would work best in digestible chunks with another person. Because I, I guarantee between two people, one of one of them would figure that out or notice yeah. it. Yeah, I agree. So the next chapter, tell us about it. It's, yeah, the, la- it's so, the last one we learn about. Yes. Um, so this is called Bargain. Um, so back in the Lazarette, the Captain Steward, he breaks free and he tries to take the shell out of the chest. But again, just like the last guy, it burns off his arm and kills him. The Captain thinks the mermaids are responsible for the Kraken attack, which again, not the craziest. Uh, he goes into the Lazarette and kills some of them. The Kraken attack stopped, but it's unclear whether this is a coincidence or if the captain's theory was right. What do you think about that? In my head canon, the mermaids were able or uh, the mermaids were able to call the Kraken. In I, I agree. I definitely yeah. agree. And that's another reason the captain's intuition is good. Yes. So uh, later, the third mate and a few stewards enter the Lazarette. The last remaining mermaid kills the third mate. But before he dies, he tells the stewards to give the mermaid the shell and ask the mermaid to help ensure that the ship finds its way home. So that's nice, right? Yeah, what a guy. Yeah. Um, Seemingly aware that the pocket watch you have and its powers will later be used to figure out what happened to the ship, the surgeon kills his pet monkey, poor guy, uh, and keeps its paw. Um, You will later get that. Yeah, and... Just, you know, because at, at the end of all of this, there's, I mean, if there's nothing f- remaining from the ship, no body part or anything for you to use to learn about what happened here. And this, this will be the only evidence um, that your magic pocket watch can use. Yes. Yeah. The next chapter is called Escape. So this is where people start turning on the captains. Various crew members start to doubt the captain's loyalty and, you know, just naturally decide to mutiny. One crew member overhears the plot and is killed, you know, more death. Always. Always. And meanwhile, some crew members and passengers, including the surgeon with monkey paw uh, with him, you don't know that at the time, uh, attempt to leave the ship on the last remaining boat, but are attacked by other crew members for doing so. The captain kind of intervenes, says, let him go, let him go. Um, All all this just fighting ensues and various people are killed you know as 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 it were yes uh and then we have the excuse me and then we have the end which is the first chapter you play so it's the last remaining crew members including the first mate uh they turn on the captain and demand the shell uh you don't really understand what's happening when you hear the dialogue here but that's essentially what's going on yeah you fully understand it the captain says he threw them overboard. Um, they don't believe him, so they attack him. The captain t- kills them all in self-defense and then kills himself. Yep. Uh, Poor guy. This is where, this is a pretty big and bold intro to the game. Would you say that? Yeah, it's, I think it's a great they, start. It's, it's big and bold. <laughs> it is both big and bold. Yeah. So tell us about the, the big wrap-up that happens. Yeah, so those are like the, the 10 chapters. So... The aftermath, once you do, once you, I mean, at a certain point, you can leave the ship. You just might not complete your logbook. The idea is to complete the logbook with all the correct answers and then leave the ship. Um, well, as many correct answers as you can possibly get. And if, and I think you can get all, can get all of them. I forget. But anyway, you leave the ship and then a year, it kind of 
time travels to a year after you're kind of in your, your home and you receive in the mail, the monkey's paw from the still alive surgeon. And then you can use the pocket watch on it to find out what happened during the bargain chapter, as we described. Yes. So it, it winds back around on itself. Yes. Yes, indeed. So that was the return of the Obra Din. It sure was. We talked uh, about things that worked and didn't work along the way, but give us, give me some highlights for, for yeah, yours. Yeah. Um, work, I would say the graphical style, um, to some degree, I think it, it hinders it when you're trying to look for details, especially in a game like this. But overall, I think it's pretty beautiful. I think it nails atmosphere uh, in general. It, it's a very creepy story, especially seeing all these tableaus of these horrific events. Um, however, what doesn't work, I, I so there there can be games with very distinct minimalism that I think works. So say Journey, right? Mm-hmm. Journey works or yeah. Abzu works. This game has very minimal interface. It has an interface, but it's very minimal to the point that I, I think it does a disservice to the game hmm. because of how complicated and intricate the game is. Again, there's not really so much a note section. There's not even like a toggleable, you know, move here next. There's no guidance. Yeah. Which, you know, there's a lot to say about over tutorialization in games, but this feels like you're truly on your own, but not in a cool way, in a like, okay, what do I do now sort of way. I would agree with that for the most part. I mean, I definitely agree with all of your your what works i and i I would add music to that i personally like the music um you did too uh yeah and the voice acting i think the voice acting across the board is very good definitely yeah to add on to what you're saying about what doesn't work i would say like there there are certain times where being fully autonomous helps with immersion and in some cases i think that really works here but there were there were times where even just trying to figure out what end of the ship I need to be on or like there's just a I wish I would have had a little bit more guidance I don't think it would have taken away from the experience or if you are going to keep it like this with with like very little guidance then you got to scale the game down a little bit yeah and like like we, like we both mentioned like you especially mentioned like having less characters probably like less deaths and such would have been a little bit better like, or just to me, really, the biggest absence was the ability, some ability to take notes yes, and yes. or mark certain things. Um, I mean, you can like put temporary, like you can put your guesses as to how someone might have died. But if you spend enough time away from the game, which I tried not to do, or if you spend just too long away from a particular character, you'll come back and be like, was that a guess? Like, what, what even what was I even thinking? Even if you could take pictures of certain yes. things in certain times and put them in folders for each chapter, even if you could do something like right. that. And I think the game should provide you with those abilities. But I was talking about, you know, the PC would playing on PC would have given me that ability. And like, sure, the script, you can take screenshots on the switch, but I don't want to exit the game and go to no. that. Like that's, I want something in game, some, some just tools to make no keeping and all that kind of stuff um, more manageable. And I also think that would have helped with immersion for you as a, de- as in the detective role. Absolutely. Right? Um, overall, I, I think it's very interesting. I would like to play another game like this. 
uh, if they kind of tighten up the the UI and yeah. kind of slim down the number of number of bodies, essentially. Yeah. But I've I've never seen a game like this before. I think there should be more of them because I think it's a very interesting concept. I agree. I think like some like quote unquote detective games involve so much hand holding. It's not even you can't even really feel like you've accomplished anything. And I think that this was towards the right end of the spectrum in terms of what kind of what I would want from a game like this. Again, like I I still would echo, despite the fact that there may be sort of detective type games. This is a very, I've never played anything like this. No. And I I agree Um, that there should be more things like it. And I would just, I would hope that if something else comes like that, comes out like this, that is inspired by this. I just hope it's got a very interesting premise because I think this one was really cool. I, I would love to I see this really liked it. That would How be would awesome. That? I would like that very much. Um, I will say that another puzzle game that this takes a cue from Professor Layton in the Mysterious Village, or the Curious Village, rather. Um, like in that game, everyone in this game is a robot. <laughs> Did you just spoil Professor Layton? <laughs> and the Curious Village. I haven't, I haven't played it. <laughs> It's like 20 years old. I know. I, I just also that. there's like 15 of those games. Just play one of the other ones. I know. I, I do. I do need to play one of them. I'm not actually mad. I just thought it was funny that you spoiled Why else would the entire town be so obsessed with riddles? Because <laughs> uh, it could be an entire town full of weirdos, sadists. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or masochists, I mean. Um, All right. So, uh, would you want to live in the world of the Oberdin that includes crab monsters and krakens and mermaids and mystical shells? No, no, I would not. Um, you wouldn't. This is one of those classic situations where you're just like, yeah, I'd love to be in this world. I would not to like to be in a world where I know that krakens and mermaid crab creatures exist. No, thank you. I, I would because I think it would make the world a spicier place to live. I also think I would never live by the ocean or go on the ocean regardless in this world or in the world of the Oberdin. So uh-huh. I just like knowing they're there. I can always depend on you. I feel like that's been your answer verbatim. This isn't a criticism, actually. This is a compliment. It's like your approach to some of these like horrific things that we talk about. You're like, yeah, I'd like for this thing to exist. Like help, I don't know, reduce the population. or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm very mundane sometimes about my answers. Yeah. But, you know. uh, but yeah, no, I would not. I would not want to. Um, all right. What about the movie version? Yeah. Did, what, so obviously uh, we're not going to cast everyone. No. So uh, I did cast the captain. Um, I, I think Michael Shannon would be a great captain. What do you think about that? I like that. I, you know, I guess he's much, I feel like he's much better at playing distrustworthy than he is kind of reliable and i think i might have yes based on what your reaction earlier i think i might have liked i thought the captain was more likable person than you might have maybe i mean let me know if i'm wrong about that but but i would say that my so my captain is matthew mcconaughey i wanted him to be very Uh, likable i i really like michael shannon though i mean i think michael shannon would need he's actually so i can't believe i overlooked him i think he absolutely needs to be in this movie michael shannon just has that like raw intensity that i think for the decisions the captain has to make yeah in a film i think he would pull it off matthew mcconaughey is likable but i mean he can he has range but i just think in terms of bringing real intensity to it michael shannon might be the 
Yeah. I mean, what what Band of Brothers was for like 20, 30, 20 and 30 year olds in terms of like how many actors were cast like this would be pretty good for like 30s, 40s, 50s, 60 year olds. You can just cast like everyone under the sun in that age. Do you think we could get Dame Helen Mirren? No, wouldn't really work. I don't think there's anyone old enough. She can play like she can play like 35. (laughs) She looks great for her age. She looks fantastic. Doesn't mean she can play 35. She can dye her hair. Um, um, okay. So we already talked about would we want to live in the world? Wait, did you cast more? No, oh, yes. So oh, I've got I, more. The only one I specifically cast was the captain. Um, I then decided to cast all of the non-objectionable cast members from Pirates of the Caribbean. Because <laughs> there's, there's one objectionable one. Yeah. The rest can come. It's kind of a cheat, uh, but I like it. Um, or alternatively, if we wanted to make it really funny, we could do this flag means death. We could do that crew. That's a, I was going to bring that up later. Let's hold that. Well, well. <laughs> um, I, first of all, you could take anyone from Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. So you got Paul Ooh. Bettany on this on this crew. I didn't actually have him in a specific role, but I do want um, Paul Bettany on there. Uh, Russell Crowe, why not? Um, but my, so I did the Captain Steward. Kind of also needs to be likable. I picked Jamie Bell. I'm thinking he brings that kind of loyal uh, energy brought in Snowpiercer. Okay. For the second mate, um, I think I, I'm, I was too, torn between two people. So they have to be mischievous, 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 and of all very believable shit heel. So I said Jesse Plemons. He's also really good at playing a good, nice guy, though, too. But I'm thinking like of his like work in Black no. Mirror. I um, still think he's I think he's horrifying because and, of Black Mirror and because and breaking of bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I, Je- I can't see him as a nice guy. Jesse Plemons was my first choice. And then David Tennant was my second choice. I could see David Tennant. He's got a little wormy kind of vibe to him. And then I, I cast the surgeon just because he's, he's a likable guy. You want him to escape. He probably imparts some like wisdom on somebody. It's just like, or just, you know, puts his hand on the shoulder of someone. He's like, everyone here is fucking crazy. And then gets on the boat and leaves. And I picked <laughs> Josh Brolin. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All, All right. right. Should we jump into fan fiction corner? Yeah, I only found one thing, although I did get the impression from my research that there is actually quite a bit of it out there. I just couldn't locate all of it or I couldn't locate stuff that I thought was worth sharing. Okay, well, please share what you did find. So what I found is a story called 57 Close Shaves Aboard the Oberdin. I saw that one. Uh, I did not choose it. Here are some here are some tags for you because I I always forget to do the tags. <laughs> I love the tags. Canon typical <clears throat> violence, eldritch, age of sale, swords, dramatic irony, spoilers, autoerotic asphyxiation, class oh differences, gratuitous Don Giovanni. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I know that there is an opera called Don Giovanni. I've seen it. I don't remember what it's about. Don Giovanni, apparently. I don't know what that means. And I didn't look didn't look it up. But so what this is in summary, it's more interesting of an idea than it is in kind of like reading. It. And it's very, very long. There are, I think they go through every single crew member and they just start like the number 
the name of the person and what they are above the ship. Like, like you know, for the first chapter, so to speak, is 19, Abigail Hocust Wit- Wittrow, the uh, passenger, who is also the captain's wife. And uh, yeah, it opens in the middle of uh, them having sex. Oh, well, I, sure. I mean, the captain has his wife on the ship, presumably as a sex slave. <laughs> and, and so they... But anyway, each one of these just introduces a character. It's just kind of they're in the middle of doing something. They might be talking to another crew member. Some of these are really long. They're pretty well written from what I can see. And some of them are kind of like filled with like dramatic irony and such. Um, like, you know, the second mate notice and it's like notices the person who ends up killing him while he's having a conversation with someone else. Things like that. Hmm. Um, I thought that was interesting. So, yeah. Uh, well, I searched Oberdin fan fiction and I found this little ditty on Reddit. Um, it's the question, would anyone read an Oberdin fanfic? <laughs> so it, here's the post. I finished Return to the Oberdin a day ago and now I can't get enough extra content. Problem is there isn't a lot of it. I'm a writer and I got an idea for a fanfic almost immediately after finishing the game, but I don't want to put a bunch of effort into writing if no one's around to read it. Do you guys think I should write it anyway? Um, this was by Pietro Waltz or Watts two years ago. Okay. There are 12 comments. Um, so, oh, and he clarifies, uh, it would be on archive or AO3 because I checked and it at very least has the tag mode for Oberdin already, blah, blah, blah. Um, I checked on AO3. Pietro Watts has written nothing about the Oberdin. Okay. Uh, and he had quite the rabid fan base waiting for it. Although at the very end, because of course it's fan fiction, uh, Adenator 800 said, I'd be interested in a crossover fic TBH. I don't know with what, but if there were one that I, it'd be, if there were one, then it'd preferably be one with the characters between the two series actually interact <laughs> as opposed to just characters, from one series being swapped in the plot of another. So he has some very <laughs> specific conditions about crossovers. <laughs> So I was very disappointed because I was all ready to read Pietro Watts's Oberdin fan fiction that he yeah. played up, but he didn't write it. So instead I found this one and it is a crossover um, and it's a crossover that Adenator 800 wouldn't like uh, because they just swapped the characters to, to a degree. Okay. Um, but it is a Yu-Gi-Oh! Oberdin crossover. Who okay. is uh, Kaiba in this situation? There is no Kaiba. Um, Why? So, How? Well, okay. So it stars, so it uses the Japanese names, but uh, presumably you know the English names. Um, so think. it stars It stars Bakura. Um, it stars Bakura, the holder of the Millennium Ring. Okay. Uh, and he's being taken on the Oberdin and wooed by, uh, in, the, in the story he's called Kaijiki, um, but I believe in the anime he's Mako Tsunami, uh, the, the sea guy. Um, so I'm just going to read a selection here. Okay. Ah, I know that one, said Kaiji Ki, who clearly did not know that one. Well, whatever. <laughs> I give you the Obra Dim, Din, Obra Din. <laughs> Setting down his second plank, Kaiji bowed low, a movement that didn't really suit him and swept the tip of his harpoon to the makeshift ramp. Bakura smiled a tight smile, but he only extended one hand for Mako Tsunami to hold. Another big mistake, Mako Tsunami just kissed his hand then dramatically swept him right up to be deposited onto the deck of the ship. The Oberdin, uh, Bakura called from earlier. You know, I always wanted to date somewhere. Those corporate company people weren't going to get involved. Those people have no respect for the sea. 
Um, so there's a lot going on there. There's corporate culture criticisms. Yeah. There's Mako Tsunami being kind of an idiot. Uh, there's Bakura being in love with Mako Tsunami. There's a ghost that gets involved later. What about Joey? Um, Joey's not in it. No. Why? Oh, uh, I believe his la- I believe his Japanese name is Joe Inochi. Um, you can't have a Yu-Gi-Oh crossover or anything without Joey Wheeler. No, you can't. Um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, I just like the little like class struggle, anti-capitalism messaging in there a little bit. You know, this was like one of the first things we've done where there either didn't exist Sonic crossover that I could find, or I thought like I you can't fit Sonic into this in a way that's meaningful or entertaining to me. Well, hey, crab guys, get the heck out of here. I'm like, sorry to rush, but I'm in a hurry. Like, where's Sonic doesn't have anywhere to go on the boat. Like, he can't really, it's really run anywhere. It's really the worst possible okay, place for actually, him to be. you know what? I've talked myself around to it. I would love to see Sonic in this because he couldn't actually do anything Sonic related. He has nowhere to go. He can't run around. He's just, he's just like a crew member that looks like a, like, picture uh ben schwartz's live action sonic just like on the ship commenting on things that are going on he'd be so mad there are no chili dogs <laughs> uh it would be so stupid <laughs> i would love it i'd love it so much okay well i feel like i feel very satisfied now Yes, that's perfect. I I would say this world does warrant fan fiction. Absolutely. Um, I think there's so many unexplained things. Again, the crab people, the mermaids, the crack in the shell. Um, I think there could be a very good prequel or sequel. um, Yeah, I I agree. And I I couldn't quite narrow down what I thought like my fan fiction would be. And I didn't even think of like a joking one either. Like I would just really like to, I, I don't want answers necessarily as to like what the shell is or what the chess is and what their origins are. I still want things to be kept vague, but I'd like to see those things appear again and drive another, you know, related, but also kind of unrelated horror story for another ship that comes by, or maybe on an Island somewhere. Like I just, I want to see something in the Oberdin universe that doesn't give me too many answers, but continues the horror. I agree. I would like something on the shell, but nothing definitive. And I think it would be really cool to be an epistolary. Um, what, so you get epistolary? Like- yeah you know like dracula like dracula for example where it's all letters and journal entries oh not a direct narrative okay um i think an epistolary type novel or work about the shell would be very cool you could do it as like maps and letters and journal entries and things like that and you wouldn't necessarily have to get to the bottom of what the shell was but i think you could create a really cool story about people trying to find it and get to the bottom of what it may or may not do or mean Hmm. What do you think about that? I like it. I like that a lot. I think you should write it. I'm not going to. How has your week been? <laughs> it's been good. Uh, as you know, I started Monster Train, a game you recommended and a lot of, well, not a lot, just like, you know, another podcast recommended that I that I very much enjoy. And I don't know really what drove me to do it actually. Like I, I had put it aside in my mind for a while and then somehow I don't really don't remember when I saw it, but I was like, I gotta, I gotta get monster train. I didn't see it on the eShop or anything. It just, I was like, you know what I need to play monster train. I think I was procrastinating playing JRPGs because I started Chrono Cross 
and this is no dig at Chrono Cross. I was enjoying my time. It's a beautiful looking game. The music's really good. I was only about like two hours in. I and I just wasn't feeling JRPGs. And yeah, I mean, I've been in I started Sekiro again for reasons, you know, for reasons. Um oh, why would you play that terrible game? <laughs> I've I'm enjoying my replay, but it's humbling. Obviously, more uh, Binding of Isaac. I would say let's um, video game related. Really, the only other significant events I have are like one. I, I did another, you know, um, speed run race against two of my friends for Banjo Kazooie, and I played a game somewhat recently called Ultimate Chicken Horse. Have you heard of it? <laughs> I have not. Uh, it it is right up my alley, though. It is really fun. It is a great game to play with at least one other person. I've now played it with two people, three people, and four people. I think three or four is the way to go, though it's definitely still enjoyable with two people. So the so the idea is that you have a general um, level, and you play as different animals, chicken, horse, um, raccoon, sheep, things like that. And you can unlock more. I think there's like a chameleon or something like that. Everyone, there's no actual difference except visually between the characters. And you place these uh, like obstacles, platforms, etc. And there's a lot of etc. In the in the level, and you have to use them as platforming to get to the flag at the end of the level. Whoever gets there first gets bonus points, but it, you know, anyone who gets there gets points. Hmm. And then after each round, each player gets to add at least one obstacle. And again, this could be a hazard. This could just be a regular standard platform that has no actual hazard. Um, also, I should mention you can wall jump too. And you basically you're trying to make the level both hard and still doable as a platforming challenge at the same time. So because like Mario Maker vibes. It, it, yes, very much so. But then the reason is because if everyone, everyone makes it, then no one gets points because the game will deem it too easy. Mm. And so there's a lot of cool strategy. Like you get to the end, if you get a lead, there's only so many rounds. You can try to purposely make it hard so no one can get there and everyone dies. So you can just stay in the lead. But then eventually, you know, there will be like bombs and things that you can use to detonate other people's obstacles. It's the, the, where the game really sings is when you have, four people who have and i found this happened a lot you just create this incredibly like very doable but extremely difficult platforming thing it's really you feel so accomplished that you all kind of made that together and if you play with a bunch of people who are very well versed in like platforming especially 2d platformers you find that like we're actually i think we're actually pretty good at like and i'm sure you are especially because you do mario maker much more than i ever did at like knowing like ju- being able to judge a distance of the game knowing how far you have to jump like what would be too far of a jump what would be a really difficult but doable jump it's like where are the good times to like where are good places to put some of these obstacles to make it harder for your for others and yourself it's it's really fun to play i found that once you understand that for mario maker like exactly how his jumps will go that's when you enter into like a real flow state of creating levels i think you'll um, find the same to be true here it's it, but it's just cool to added the added idea that you're competing with other people to to do that i like that yeah um i uh went to buy a game on my playstation the other day and um it said you know all of your payment methods are out of date 
because normally I like to buy physical copies of games. I don't generally like to download them, but it happens. So I went to uh, enter a new payment method and, uh, you know, I couldn't sign in. I didn't remember my password. No problem. So I did the forgot my password, whatever. Didn't get anything. Did it like 10 times. Check my spam, check my everything. Didn't get it. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to worry about it right now. So hours and hours and hours later, I get a bunch of emails from quote unquote Sony, uh, but they were the most bogus emails I've ever gotten in my entire life, uh, which led me to realize that my PlayStation account must have gotten hacked or my information was compromised, Yeah, which I know did happen to PlayStation a while ago. It happened to me. Yeah. So my workaround was, well, fuck off, dude. I'm just going to make a new profile on my PlayStation um, and set it up that way, uh, and, you know, get around it. So I did that, but because I'm in Guatemala, my PlayStation knows I'm in Guatemala. So it will only accept <laughs> oh, payment no. from Guatemala. Um, so I need a bank account here, um, which I'm working on. Um, and this game that I was buying will be revealed sometime soon. Okay. Um, but so I'm working on that. Um, that's, that's my project. Uh, worst case scenario, I can just ask Edgar's, uh, niece, to use her card and just pay her back. But um, other than that, I bought Fire Emblem Three Hopes because I am disgusting. And if a new game comes out that I'm remotely interested in, I buy it. I hear I it's very it good. Hours so I'll down. defend you there. It is actually very good. And um, it made me want to play Three Houses again. Another um, game so, I haven't played, but should. Yeah. So I've been playing through uh, my second campaign in Three Houses because you know, there's three houses. So gosh, you could play all three campaigns if you want to. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm a little bit in my second campaign. I'm about to start the DLC, um, which comes in at a certain point in the story. Um, and yeah, I put over a hundred hours into Fire Emblem Three Houses. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, nice. I really think you should play it. Um, it does that thing in games where it's all flow state. It's all flow state all the Ooh. time. Um, you're always leveling up something, a character, a job class, uh, a battalion, um, you know, the things you can buy. It's it just your sweet, sweet serotonin is just I was just going to say you get a lot of escorts. <laughs> also, uh, <laughs> something I never paid attention to that I pay attention to now uh -huh. is that in Fire Emblem, I didn't realize that level ups are kind of like a slot machine. Um, in hmm. that sometimes only one stat will level up sometimes like five stats will level up um, it's kind of random and it's based on certain unseen like calculations behind the scenes for characters mm -hmm. um, but I've really started paying attention to that and it makes me it shouldn't but it makes the game much more compelling hmm. because when the character levels up is this going to be a good level up or a bad level up or a medium level up and so um, you're also leveling up fast enough to where if you get a bad level up, a new level is coming kind of around the corner. Um, so, you know, you don't have to worry about it that much, but it still feels very engaging. Hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's very good. It's a, it, it's close to a 10 out of 10 for me. I believe that I would like it. I really do. I just gotta, I gotta fit it in. Yeah, um, you do. It's, um, it's a spicy meatball. Uh, the only other thing I want to plug and also say that I watched is Miranda and I started the anime spy family which has just been advertised like crazy on Crunchyroll. yeah and keeps, every time that. i sign in to watch one piece i see it and we pulled the trigger on it and it is absolutely delightful we're only like four episodes in and we're hooked can't wait to see where it goes it's just so fun and entertaining and funny couldn't recommend it enough 
Um, it's funny you say that because Edgar's niece is very, very into anime in general and specifically Spy Family. She loves Spy Family and Demon Slayer. So. Oh, very, oh, can't go wrong with that either. For a second, I thought they were going to say that she's a spy. She might be. I mean, I guess we don't know. Metal Gear Solid has taught me anything. Child spies are everywhere. <laughs> Anyone could be a spy. Anyone yeah. could be a child spy. <laughs> Even you or I? Even you or even I, you or could, I be could be a, a child, child spy. spy. Yeah. Hey, you're a poet and you didn't even know it. I was going to say we should end it, but then you had to go and say that. And maybe we should still end it. Okay. You know who wasn't on the Oberdin, but I think would have really <laughs> made quite the impact. Do you know? <laughs> Do you know? The Grinch? The Grinch. Can you imagine if the Grinch was on the Oberdin? He wouldn't stand for that shit. He sure wouldn't. No. Are we done? We're done. Goodbye, everyone.